0: Curiosity, how you you liken the book of James so far? Just a show of heads. Some of you, some thumbs up liking it. I know which one of you like pain from that, right? I, I mean, I ask because it seems like every week a little bit like, like someone's poking you in a tender spot that you have. Maybe you didn't know you had it and it just hurts. You know, so, some fe- weeks actually feel like a, a punch in the nose as, as we keep finding James over and over again calling us out for living more like the world than, than living like the Word, like Jesus. You know, he, he said, do you count it all joy when you face trials? And our, our sense of, well, I don't, I don't know, right? Or, and then he goes on, right? When, when you pray to God, are you doubting? Are you, are you double-minded in your prayers? And he goes on, do you blame God for your... Your temptations, your sins, right? Another poke into that tender area. Do you, do you speak slow? Do you listen well, right? Or rather, are you slow to speak? Do you easily blow up in, in anger at people? Are you a, a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word only? Uh, do you show self-control with the things that are coming out of your mouth, your words? Do you, do you go and do you care for widows? Do you care for orphans? Are you unstained from the world? And it just seems like one thing after another, right? Last week, are you, are you partial to those who are like you or those who can be of great benefit to you, the wealthy in that sense? Do you show mercy to, to, to others or are you self-righteous, judgmental, or judgmentally self-righteous? Right, we keep hearing this over and over again. Now, James is incredibly applicable. I think that's why we, we generally like James, right? Uh, we also see that he cares about the glory of God. I, I hope you're getting the sense that he wants to see you you grow in your faith to become more Christ-like, not to crush you in your failures, but to encourage you to be more like Christ. But, but he pokes, and he pokes, and he's just revealing these tender spots. He's revealing these issues that maybe, maybe you weren't aware there, or you'd begun to just ignore altogether. And so today, James is going to poke again. Uh, he's going to address an, an issue. He's going to address a, a terrifying truth as he, he poses this question, uh, a question that maybe should give you pause in your life. He's going to say it is possible for, for you to profess with your mouth faith in Jesus and yet not really believe, not not possess a saving faith. I think on some level we kind of already know this, right? That today, uh, surveys are done every so often, right? And, and today, 64% of Americans claim to be Christian. That number was 90, uh, 10 years, no, 30, 50 years ago back in the 70s. You, you and I, we, we live in this nation, though. We, we know people. Do you really get the sense that 94% of the people in this nation are, uh, have genuine saving faith in Jesus, that you're seeing the work of the Spirit in their life? And I don't want you to be really judgmental there, just... Just so you know, right? Maybe, maybe not. I, I don't know for sure, but, but what we're going to see in James right off the bat this morning is, is that the polls there don't really matter. And in fact, don't even listen to those polls for you to consider, you know, is our nation becoming more or less Christian? I know that sometimes worries us. It might mean nothing. The number might not have changed a bit since 1970 because what he's getting at is it doesn't matter uh, because they only record the things that people say. And finally, before we read, I want you to know um, that, that James this week and over the next two Sundays, that, that James is going to show us the true marks of saving faith. He, he wants to reveal to each of us a simple fact, right? Should we be confident and reassured that our faith is genuine, um, right? Or, or is there a chance we still need to turn our life to, to Christ, to, to trust in the Lord Jesus with faith. And either way, that's information you want to know, right? It's like when you go to the doctor, you don't ever want bad news. But if you have bad news, you'd rather know it than not, so you can do something about it. Well, let's, let's begin. We're just reading a few verses. It's going to be in James 2, uh, starting in verse 14 today. We're going to read all the way to 18. <clears throat> what good is it, my brothers, Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Almighty God, we, we come to these words as your words. We, we come to them wanting to understand, uh, desiring to believe, to be challenged and, and changed through what James is here teaching. And so please enlighten our minds this morning. Um. Enlighten our minds to understand, and and soften our hearts to receive your word. In in Jesus' name we we pray, amen. So I think before we we dig into this, you kind of have to understand it in the wider context of of scripture, and so I I do want to remind you of this, that, that James would have known Paul Right, that the teaching of Paul would not have been something foreign to James that he didn't understand that he hadn't heard. It's it's not like that. He, you know, he and those that are receiving this letters would have absolutely been familiar with Paul's teaching. And and by that, right, I, I mean in the way it's it's summarized here in Romans 3:28 that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law, or, or like it's summarized in Galatians 2:16. Right, a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. James knows absolutely well that nobody is conjuring up faith. No one is making it. No one is earning it through good works. It, it is given by God. Right? As Ephesians 2.8 says so beautifully, for, the, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. And, and I want you to know that so that you understand as we come into this passage on James, that probably makes you really uncomfortable, right? That you understand why James is using this, this provocative, this, this affronting language here, this language that kind of, if, if, if we just take it at face value, actually stops us in our tracks and, and, and maybe even wants to question James's orthodoxy. Maybe even want to take the book of James and just rip it out because clearly he doesn't understand grace. And and here is the reason that James wants to stir the pot of our, our nominal indifference here. J- James wants you either to, to question your faith and turn to Jesus, because you haven't, or, or he wants you to have confidence that your faith is, is real, that it's genuine, and, and for you to go away and, and encouraged by that, wanting to continue that more and more. And so that's why he begins, look at verse 14, he begins with that question, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works, Can that faith save him? Now, did you notice right off the bat, right, first of all, that the person doesn't say that they have faith, right? It's not that the person, the person didn't, or he didn't say this person has faith, but that this person says he has faith, right? They profess it. It's coming out of their mouth that's what they're saying, Now, the other thing is, in English, both of these questions, they seem open-ended to us, right? What's it matter? Like, maybe you'll answer it. Well, here's why. You know, in the Greek language, there's actually a way to write things. I don't, in English, I don't think we can do this. If you can, I've never learned it. Um, But there's a way to write it so that the assumed answer is negative. It's negative, it's negative, it's negative. It's not even open for question. That's what's going on here, right? And so, so the answer to these questions is, if someone says they have faith and yet no works, those words mean nothing, and this person does not truly possess salvation. Now, if you're reading the ESVs, which is what I was reading from, you might notice in verse 14 it says, can that faith, right? This faith is qualified with that word that. Can that faith save them? The word that is, it's, uh, it's not in the Greek. It's, it's not there at all. Now, the reason the ESV puts it there is very important, right? It's, 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 it's on purpose. It's there to show that, Jesus, or sorry, that James is using the word faith in, in two different ways. We do that all the time in English, right? There, there is a type of faith, he's saying, that is not real, and, and that sort of empty faith cannot save a man or a woman. And he's saying that's that empty words that you've just said, but there's nothing behind it. And in fact, it might be better for us to think of it in, in this sense, that there is, there is that faith, right, and, and then there is real faith, that faith and real faith, faith. Uh, if James had actually consulted me, right, we could have cleared this all up a little better. I would have just been like, let's, let's just put fake faith in front of that. It'll make it all a lot easier for us, uh, right? And in that case, it would have read, uh, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that fake faith save him, right? Much easier. Uh, anyway, you, you, you see in the point that James is making here. If you uh, uh, agree with a set of orthodox theological statements, if you affirm the Apostle's true, that is absolutely true. The Trinity, right? If you're on board with the the Westminster Confession of Faith, you, you know, but your life is absolutely unchanged, there's no evidence of, of, of the Spirit in you, right? If there's nothing distinctly Christian about the way you treat people, about the way that you spend your money, the way you spend your time, the way you speak to people, the way you conduct yourself online, right? If the Holy Spirit is not giving these works in your life or giving life to these works in your life, then, then really you have reason to question whether your faith is genuine. And that's a hard thing to say. It's a hard thing to hear but reason to question whether you're really filled with the Spirit of God as all, all Christians are. And, and so, simple point here in verse 14 is that there, there are two types of faith. A fake faith that leads to no change in your way of life, and there is a genuine faith that does lead to change. And so in a sense, James is really just restating what we, we read before in chapter 1, right? That we are to be doers of the Word and not just hearers of the Word only. And, and again, this is... This is not contrary to the Apostle Paul. It's not, right? Paul, Paul sounds an awful lot like James in, in Romans two thirteen, where he says, "For is it not the hearers of the law, or it, it, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified." And so then, the rest of chapter two is going to dive deeper into James's point. There's going to be what you might call. Four case studies that he's going to go over here. Next week, we're going, to, uh, we're going to evaluate the belief of demons and really kind of dig into that. And after that, we're going to look at the faith of a Father Abraham, right? That's an easy one to understand. And, and then also the, the faith of a prostitute named Rahab. Right, right now, though, today, we're going to be looking at the first case study, which is this uh, um, imaginary person in, in one of these churches that James is writing to. He's, right, uh, suppose this person says this. Now, now, what James does here is he personifies this fake faith and this real faith. He presents it as, as two different people in this scenario, that, that both of them are professing faith in Jesus with their mouths. And, and then he sets up what is this clear and this obvious need. There, there's a fellow Christian in the church. That's what he's setting it up with to begin with. To make it easy, I want to name this person. We're going to call her Lydia. It's a great New Testament name, right? So, so here's this girl, Lydia, in the church with them. Uh, Lydia doesn't have enough clothing. She, she probably lacks a warm, warm outer clothing for the season that it is or, or the clothing that she has is tattered, right? She doesn't have enough clothing and, and she also doesn't have enough food just for daily meals uh, and she doesn't have enough money to get the clothes and the food that she's lacking. And, and so this person that's representing fake faith, uh, maybe, maybe he really does feel bad for poor Lydia, right? Maybe in his heart he's like, oh, that is, that is hard to see, poor, poor her, right? He's thinking that just breaks my heart. Lydia's so sweet. I I hope things get better for her. And and now the assumption here is that this fake faith fella that, that he does indeed have the means to help. He has clothing that he can give away without dying himself, right? He has food that he can share. He he has enough money that, that if he decides to give this money to Lydia, uh, that, that his family is not going to end up in dire straits or you know, out on the street themselves. But, but instead of mercy, instead of doing anything, Mr. Fake Faith says what? Look at it. He says, go in peace, be warmed and filled. Now listen, that first phrase there, not a problem at all, right? Go in peace, a very common phrase at the time. Uh, Jonathan said it to David after they had you know, made that oath of friendship to each other, go in peace. Uh, the Old Testament priests would often send people away, go and in, in priest, and in Luke 7 and 8, right, after Jesus has just healed somebody, after he's done this, this good work for them, after he's done this work of mercy for them, uh, he actually sends people away saying, go in peace, right? That's not the problem, but, but the second part of this is where you really begin to see it, that phrase, be warmed and filled, because it's said in this, this vein of, may God help you, but don't expect me to help you. Don't expect me to be part of that solution at all. It, 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 and it's said in this way because it sounds like you care. It, it's easy to feel like, oh, I've said the good words, I mean well, you know, thoughts and prayers. Uh, right? To, to, to bring this into our modern context, it's a little like, say, a, a single mother telling you, you know what, I, I, I have to take my youngest child to the ER, she is sick, and I have no one to watch my other children. And maybe you're in this situation that day where you think, you know what, I, I could watch her children. I actually have the time today, I can move a couple things, not a big deal, but you simply don't want to, right? You don't want to because maybe her kids are wild and you know it's going to be a nightmare for that, right? Maybe because you just have been thinking, I'm going to rest today, that's what I'm really excited about, and, and so you, you, know, you say, you know, you know, I'll pray for you, I'll pray that the Lord provides someone to watch your children so you can go and do that, and you're like, well, have a nice day, and you just, you just walk off, carry on with your day. Now, you hope God provides for, and it's probably genuine, but, but you sure aren't going to help even though God has already put you in a position where you actually can, right? If that's the actual situation we find ourselves, that's, you can see the problem here. Now, we don't really know the details here, do we, of, of the situation, and, in, in, in you know, because James is making it up. It doesn't sound like it's probably not an actual, actual situation, but very possible. Um... You know, maybe our fake faith person doesn't want to give money and clothes to to Lydia because they they know that she has spent money foolishly in the past, right? She kind of got herself into this problem, so why am I going to, like, go out of my way to help you here, you know? Or or maybe because you you helped her before and she wasn't real grateful when you helped her before, Uh, you know? And maybe you're just thinking, you know, I've helped her three times. It's time somebody else helps her this time. Why has it got to be me every time? As, as you mentally then begin to apply this passage, I want you to know two things. First is this. If, if you can't help, you can't help. That's okay. That's not the situation that you have to solve everyone's problem. That's not what it's getting at. It's not that you have to go bankrupt to fix everything, right? If, if you need $20,000 tomorrow because your house is going to get repoed, I really can't help you. I don't have $20,000 to give you. I, I can't. But, but as Jesus says in 1 John three seventeen. Uh, right, is quoted right. If, or John says, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? How does it, right? Again, that's assuming it doesn't. That's the answer. And, and so think about this in terms of can I help someone with a true need? Or help them find help? And yet I just refuse to? I'm unwilling to? Now, that's where we begin to see this, this is a litmus test of sorts for for your heart, for the genuineness of, of your faith even. And second, you, you can't meet the needs of all the people everywhere. And some of you really do have those bleeding hearts where you want to, and that's a good thing, right? But I, I want you to understand this, this doesn't mean you need to go out of here and go looking for people to hand out things. You have to go digging back in the alleyways, right? You've got these coats. I've got to find someone to give coats to or money to give to. You're certainly free to do that. But that's not what he means here. And so don't carry, carry that guilt for not doing enough for everyone as you, you, that you drive past on the way home today or, or learn about online, online who is in, in need, right? You, because we see everything in the world now, it seems like, you can see all the problems in the world and carry that guilt. You, you can't meet all those needs, but you can meet the needs of people that God puts in your path, people that you run into, people that you know. And, and, and James's expectation is, is really here, if we're honest, is that Christians help brothers and sisters in Christ. As as Paul says in Galatians 6.10, can't say the word 10 today, uh, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so James' comments, or he comments here at the end of the story, right, basically if you're saying all these sweet words, but you don't do anything to help, what good is that? It's no help at all. What benefit is that? His point again is that that sort of faith isn't real. It won't save you. It's, it's like this. If I were to go out on a, a boat, right, and I pick up a life jacket. It looks like a life jacket. It says life jacket on it. It's even got the little words there. And I put it on. But that thing doesn't actually float. What good is it? What's the point? Why put it on at all? It, you know, it, it proves itself to not be a real life jacket. Um, it won't save you. Now now look at verse 17. J- James makes this monumental statement. He says, So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now to be absolutely clear here, James does not say that, that, that you are to add works to your faith, right? As if here's your faith. Now you, you fortify it by going and creating these works. He's saying that your faith, uh, you know, the faith that you possess... That it either does have good works or it does not have good works. Those are just two realities not telling you to create this. And if your profession of faith has no godly works, it's dead. And again, right, he's not saying it has died, it was alive, but, but it is dead. It's never been alive. Remember, the ability to do good works does not come from ourselves. It comes from the Holy Spirit, from our union with Christ. It, apart from God, you cannot bear any fruit. All right, James or John 15. Go read it sometime. And, and maybe, you know, if you're like me, you kind of have that contrarian mindset when you're listening to people. Somebody like, well, I, I see people do good things all the time, right? I see unbelievers do all kinds of wonderful things. It, it, it doesn't mean that, 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 that it's a fruit, right, of, of faith. It doesn't mean that that's what it's coming from. You know that right, after Christmas, all those dead Christmas trees you see out by the street, you could go out there and duct tape a bunch of apples to it. That doesn't make it a living, fruitful tree just because you see some apples duct taped to it. And, and if someone does good, right, that maybe they're doing it to impress people, maybe they're doing it out of, a, out of pride of some sort, maybe they're doing it out of guilt of some sort. Anything but love for God and genuine love for neighbor, it might be helpful to people, we can be thankful for that, but it's not, it's not fruitful. It's not the fruit of, a, of the Spirit, right? It's not a, a sign of faith. Now, but before we do move on, I, I want to mention that James gives an example of a good work, right? I, and I say this because I don't want you to think this is the only situation he's talking about is caring for someone in need. It certainly includes that. That's a very obvious one. But, but good works is really about obedience to all of God's work. Not, not perfectly by any means, but but that we desire to, to seek obedience to the Lord's word, that, that means a lot of things, right? That means repentance, that means that we, we believe, that means that we're to do good to others, Galatians 6.9. That means we are to make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28. It means we are to be, be merciful even as your Father is merciful, Luke 6.36. The, these good works then are, are, are what Paul in Galatians 5.6 calls faith working through love, Right? Faith working through love. And this is what comes out. And this, this brings us to the last verse we're going to look at today. Look at, look at verse 18 with me. Here James gives uh, words to someone who objects to this line of reasoning. He, he says, uh, you need to listen as I read. He says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith. And this is him talking now. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. James would have liked the motto of the state of Missouri, right? The show me state, you ever know that one? And the whole point behind it, I had to dig in to figure out what that was years ago. I was like, what is this? This makes no sense. My dad used to say it was show me your license because they pulled you over all the time. I didn't think that was right. But it's this idea of you prove it. Don't just tell me your words, prove it. Show me whatever you're saying. And then that's what James is saying here, right? And, And so the objector wants to suggest there are two types of Christians. There are some that are just the thinky type, Right? the theological type, you know they love doctrine, they love to study that stuff and there's nothing wrong with that uh, okay? That's not where I'm going here. And then he says, hey, this person wants to say, but then there's other types that are the, the dewy types. That's not the right word, right? They, they like to do good works, uh, you know, works of mercy and do-gooding and such, as if those are just two different categories of Christians, and one does it one way, and one does it the other way, and, and, and it's no big deal. Now, there is some truth to that, right? Some Christians do enjoy studying theology more than others, uh, but James's point is not in regards to that. It's that it, it, what we really believe, what you really believe, what that theology is teaching you. I see you making fun of Jeremy back there. Is that what's going on? Okay. If you really believe the theology that, 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 that you believe, right? That's redundant. Um, it will be observable by how you actually live it out. Just because you know it doesn't tell me whether you really believe it. It's when you start to see that in, in real action. He's saying faith that is alive... And this is where it gets a little weird for us, right? Faith that is alive is actually seeable with our eyes. Um, if you've ever made bread, and I know a lot of you have because you make the bread we use for Lord's Supper. If you've ever made bread, you know the first step of it is, is that you, you take some warm water and you throw active yeast in it. And, and uh, recipes will often say something like, make sure your yeast is alive. And, and you know, if you don't know what you're doing, you're like, well, what? how do I know? You can't check the pulse of yeast. It all looks dead or alive. I don't know. It looks the same, right? Um, h- however, when you take that yeast and you put it in warm water with a little bit of sugar, what ends up happening is it begins to fizzle. It begins to, uh, to bubble. You can start to see something's happening that shows that this yeast is actually alive. Um, if it doesn't fizz and bubble, it's, it's dead yeast. In, in a sense then, right, these, these good works are the fizzles, they're the bubbles of, of our faith. They show that our faith is alive. It's a way that we can actually see it. Golly, I think it's been 17 years now. No, longer than that. It's back in seminary. The first sermon I ever preached was on uh, this passage, Mark 2. Travis has probably heard that sermon like 15 times over the years because I preached it a lot of places he's been at. Uh, But anyway, it is so cemented in my mind this this passage. It's one of those your first sermon. You just never really forget that that passage at all. And 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 Jesus is uh, is there in Mark 2. He's in someone's home. And a group of friends then, they have this paralyzed friend, and they decide, let's take him to Jesus. And so they're carrying him on a, a mat of sorts in the hope of getting him healed. And when they get to Jesus, they find out, oh, he's in that house, and there's a mass of people everywhere. There's no way we're getting them to Jesus. We've got to figure something out. And so they go up the stairs on the outside of the house, and these houses were made with this, this weird earthen, sticky type roof. And they just dig through there. They rip open the roof, and they lower their friend down to Jesus because they're getting to him one way or another. They're going to get their friends to Jesus. And in Mark 2, 5, you read this, and this is Luke writing, right, but he, or Mark, rather. Uh, he says, and when Jesus saw their faith, right, he looks at them and he sees their faith. And I think we tend to super spiritualize, spiritualize that sometimes, right, that we imagine like Jesus looks at them and he's, because he's Jesus, he's looking deep into them and he can see faith, something that you and I can't see, and, and, and he can see that and that's what's going on. That's not what's going on here. Jesus saw their faith just like everybody else in that room saw their faith as they dug through the ceiling and lowered their friend down to this man they thought could heal him. They are serving their friend. They are bringing him to Jesus. They are digging through this roof and this expectation that Jesus will indeed heal their friend. Their faith became visible by their actions. He knows that they believe he can do it. He's sure of it. He can see it just like you and I. and, and that's what James is getting at. It's just how visible with our eyes our faith actually is. True faith is visible if you know how to see it, and James is telling us how to see it. And so James is poking those of us who continue or, or who confuse mere intellectual knowledge with actual faith. He is poking us, and it, and it might hurt if you take this serious. Listen, while it's true that our good deeds can never earn salvation, it's also true that, that genuine faith always results in a changed life. And, and part of that is that we see good deeds. In other words, living faith sweats in the service of others. Right? Living faith actually cooks meals for people. It, it gives money to people. It, it drives them to doctor's appointments. It sends encouraging messages. Real faith carries friends to Jesus and so on and so on. And so call it what you want, but know this, a saving faith is a serving faith. In other words, true faith will always be expressed in how we live. And, and this can be scary. Uh, Dan Doriani, uh, I believe he's still a covenant professor, I asked this a few weeks ago, so unless he got fired in the last two weeks, he still is. Anyway, he says this. He says, real faith knows that on the last day when Jesus judges all people, he will mark whether we did or did not help the needy whom we met. Right? That's exactly what what Jesus does in Matthew 25. If you want, I'm going to read extended here in a minute. So if you've got your Bible and you want to see it, turn over to Matthew 25. And and, and this is because, right, in, in Matthew 25, near the end of it, Jesus says that, you know, God in the end, in the end, God is going to judge people into two groups. And he calls them the sheep and the goat, right? Um, but, but this is where it's really a fascinating detail. That the, the two groups, even though they're sheep and the goats, they, they aren't identified as those, as this group professes faith in Christ and this group does not profess faith in Christ. Though that is absolutely what's at the heart of that. That's the foundation of what he's getting at. That's not the way he identifies them. Um, it's, Listen to how Jesus presents this. Matthew 25. Let's see. Yay. Okay, I did mark it. I couldn't remember if I did. Matthew 25. uh, Pick up in verse 34. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And he keeps going, verse 37. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see uh, see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer him, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you, you, you did it to me. Right? And, and then the whole thing turns around. I won't read it all to you, right? But it, it's the opposite. Everything he just said goes the opposite, right? You saw me here and you didn't do it. You didn't do it. You didn't do it. Um, and, and you saw me in, in need and you did not help. And then, and then Jesus closes this big list of not help helping by, by, by saying this, right? He says... Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of these, the least of these, you did not do it to me, and these will go away into eternal punishment. You see, the, the point of both James and, and Jesus, more significantly, Jesus, right, is clear. A professed faith that is not accompanied by good works is not saving faith. And, and here's where I need you to understand. James' goal, and my goal, is not for you to pass judgments on other people, on the genuineness of their faith. And I want you to, to walk out of here and be like, you know that Toby Curto, I don't see any good works in his life, right? That's, that's not the goal here. It, it, it's for, for you and I to, to look at ourselves, to examine our own lives and to ask honestly, in what way is my faith visible? Does, does how I live match what I profess to believe? In other words, is there evidence of practical holiness, uh, of serving others and so on in my life? And if what you discover terrifies you, praise the Lord for this knowledge. Right? Praise the Lord and and go to the Lord who is merciful. Confess that. Repent. Ask a Heavenly Father to give you a living faith that is made visible by by good works done in a joyful heart. And and be honest. Right? I I know some of you are so prone to, to evaluate. You're like, I don't have enough of them. That's not what we're talking about here. This is not that you have to, you know, enough of them. We're wanting to see it, right? If you're really honest, you're going to find that, that even though it's not as robust as we wish it was, that, that we do serve others, that we do care for the needy, that we do obey God's word. We're, we're, we're going to find that our faith is alive, and, and if that's the case, be encouraged. Be encouraged and ask the Lord to, to give you more joy in the practice of good works. You might lean into this even more. Ask the Lord to give you eyes to, to see more people that, that you can serve with whatever He's provided you in ways that you can. Ask the Lord that you might, might share with, with others the blessing that God has given you. That, that's where I, I really want this to go. That, that, that's the final application, if you will. I don't want you going out of here completely discouraged by this because you're just so harsh on yourself. But if there's real reason for that, do lean into that. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we desire a faith that is, is brought to life by, by your hands, a faith that is living, a faith that is active and working. And, and so we are asking if, if, if it's not already true that you would give us life, give us a faith that is living and active and working. And, and if that is already true, we are asking you to strengthen our faith. That you give us assurance that we can see your work in our life. That we're not so harsh on ourselves that we can't just be thankful for the work you are doing and, and yet ask you to continue to work in that way, continue to grow us in that way. Make us, make us strong, Lord. M- make us more alive today than yesterday. Make our, our faith to be, just uh, awaken our faith, Lord. Uh, that we might truly love others as we love you. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.